Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Amen. Okay, we're going to do something a little different this morning. I want to see by show of hands, how many of you have had a moment in your life where you feel as if your heart stops and panic and uncertainty begin to bubble up within? Show of hands. Oh, fantastic. Me too. And so let's do a little therapy together this morning. In fact, I'm going to share one of uh, one of these moments for, for me, and, and, and this was while I was on a missions trip. And I was thinking about this yesterday, that this may be a, a terrible story to share as we are actively trying to recruit people for our trips. So Matt Prine, wherever you're at, please forgive me. Okay, so here we go. Summer of 2011, I was on a missions trip halfway across the world. And so out of wisdom, I'm not going to share where exactly I I was. But it was our last day of the trip, and we were on our way back home. We started the long journey back home. The trip was fruitful. Uh, People responded to the gospel. Relationships were built. Churches were encouraged. And so this was the last day. We're headed to the airport, and we're running a little behind. And so our bus driver, very good driver, decided he was going to take a shortcut. Uh, We were in a major global city, and in major global cities, no matter which shortcut you take, you will always find yourself in traffic. Think Houston or DFW. There is always traffic there. So here we were taking a shortcut in very bad traffic, and it was bumper to bumper, and no matter which way he turned, we were still in traffic. And so we came to a standstill, And the bus kind of rolls up onto what I think was a speed bump, not quite sure, and we're stopped. And then the driver, I'm not really sure what happened, but I I think he slowly took his foot off the, the brake pedal, and the bus went over that speed bump and just rammed right into the car in front of us. Driver gets out of the car, he's not happy, He starts yelling in a language I don't understand. Other people around the bus see there are a bunch of Westerners in the bus, and they aren't happy. And then before we know it, there is an angry mob forming around our bus. They begin to bang on the bus. And these are one of the moments. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you say? What do I say? Who do I listen to? And you wonder, how is this going to play out? Well, in in, in this case, the driver of our bus pays off the the driver of the car, and he also pays off some of the leaders of the mob, and they disperse. Pretty safe. Okay, we're going to keep on going. We're going to continue to make our way through the airport. Now we're even running more behind here. Traffic is still bad, as it is in every major city. 
And so evening turns to, to night, and, and we're about in the downtown of the city now, and we roll right up to a stoplight. It's, I think it's about July 5th of the time, and I'm doing something on, on my phone, playing a game or, or whatnot, and I hear fireworks, and I think, well, that's odd. It's the day after July 4th, and then I think, hold on a second. Do other countries celebrate <laughs> July 4th? And then right at that moment, I could see our leader and the bus driver look at each other when they realized that it wasn't fireworks, it was gunshots. And they stand up and yell in unison, everyone crouch down and cover your, your heads with your hands. These were gunshots. Uh, apparently, the, the military had tracked down some suspected terrorist and there was a fight going directly in front of us. Again, these are the moments. Crouch down, my hands over my head, in a bus halfway across the world, when the heart stops, panic and chaos and confusion begins to set in, and you think, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you say? Who do you listen to? And you wonder, how is this going to play out? I'm going to leave you here on a, on a cliffhanger for a little bit, and we'll come back to it at the end of the message. Don't worry, I'll explain what, what happened next. But this is the picture of the story that I want you to have in your mind as we pick up this passage in Acts this morning. Last week, Pastor Jonathan preached the first half of this episode in Ephesus. The gospel was beginning to radically change this city, and those who were in the idol-making business were in danger of losing their money. His sermon left us in a tense scene where confusion, chaos, and panic were beginning to overtake the city of Ephesus. And so we pick up this story. And in fact, we're going to actually go back one more verse to verse 28. So if you have your Bibles, you can look there. It's not in the message guide. And it says, verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater. So a group of craftsmen fearing the loss of their wealth in the middle of Ephesus began chanting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, again and again. And as they chant this, they, they're traveling through town center up to the Ephesian amphitheater, which was carved right into the side of a mountain. And on their way to the amphitheater, people were joining in this riot and chanting probably at first the same thing. And the sound of this riot began to reverberate all through the city. To put this noise level in, into perspective for you, uh, imagine standing outside of Kyle Field during a football game. You know, there, there's the noise of the crowd, and, and the yell leaders are trying to, to, to rally the good old ags and some yells. So they're, they're passing it back. And if you're standing outside, if you listen closely, you might be able to tell what, what's going on. But, but odds are, no matter how close you listen to it, it still sounds, I'm not exactly sure what yell is going on here. But either way, you can tell that there are people in there, a lot of them, and it is loud, and they're excited about something. So people here in Ephesus are, are coming out of the woodwork, 
uh, hearing the uproar that this mob is creating. Eventually, this mob, which started out only with a few craftsmen and silversmiths and artisans, enters and fills the amphitheater with a seating capacity of over 25,000. Think double the size of Reed Arena. Y'all, this is massively chaotic. The second half of verse 29 reads, they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Remember, this all started because the craftsmen in town were in danger of losing their income, their wealth. And the riot ensues, and people from all over town join in, and they grab two of Paul's disciples with them, ready to do whatever they had in their minds. We'll come back to verses 30 and 31 a little bit later, but skip to verse 32. It says, some cried one thing. Others cried another thing, and still some had no idea why they were even gathered. On one hand, this is a very tense situation, especially for, for Paul and team, and we'll, we'll come back to that later, as I said. But on the other hand, I, I see some comedy going on here. The chant started, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, but apparently others were crying out other things. We're not told exactly what. Honestly, to, to me, it sounds like this could have been a giant game of, of telephone. You know that, that classic team-building game or, or, or a game that you use to teach kids that gossiping is bad? I don't know. But like telephone, this is what I see. Like, chance starts out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and people are listening, don't know, and they're like, great is Ephesus. And other people are like, what's that? Great is Epaphras, biblical name. And the other people, and just shouting, great, great, great. There's just chaos everywhere in this amphitheater. And like, no one stops and, and goes, hey, wait a minute here. Maybe we should all be on the same page and chant the same thing. In fact, in, in verses 33 through 34, one person, a, a Jewish man named Alexander, stands up to make a defense. Most likely to declare that the Jews, the Jews were not the cause of this riot. But when he does this, everyone there freaks out all the more, and they chant for two whole hours. This is a massive chaos and confusion. Why? Remember, the wealth, the livelihood of the silversmiths was in jeopardy. And we can look at the, the passage and go, this is insane. And, well, congrats, like, you're right, that, like, this is insanity. But this is the natural human response to a threat to our livelihood. Church, literally two years ago, almost to the date, when, when COVID initially struck and seemed to put our livelihood in jeopardy, everyone freaked out. I remember sitting in the Guatemalan airport receiving pictures from, from my mom showing that toilet paper, you know, the, that what we used to wipe ourselves with was being treated as a rare mineral. The pictures that I saw looked more like a scene from Black Friday than a Tuesday at HEB. I also remember reading news articles about people fighting over hand sanitizer. And no, not the, not the good stuff from Bed Bath & Beyond or Bath & Body Works or Germex, like the funky stuff that was made in someone's garage. I mean, y'all remember this, like this was insane. 
But this is the natural human reaction to a threat on our wealth, comfort, and ideology. The crowd in Ephesus reacted to the threat on their wealth by rioting. The world, America in 2020, reacted to the threat of their health and comfort by rioting. And I think this is a good time to ask this question. Church family, what is your reaction when your comfort, your wealth, your ideology is being threatened? What's your reaction to, to threats on these things that we cling so closely to? Because if it matches the world's reaction, my guess is that we do not understand the realities, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our surrender to him, the gospel brings us. You know, the gospel brings us a new identity. The gospel gives us unity with one another, tears down the wall of hostility, as the book of Ephesians tells us. The gospel gives us new family. The gospel gives us purpose and mission and the gospel allows us to react differently when chaos and confusion ensues around us because we know that this is not our home. Our identity in Christ grants us the freedom to react differently. So this is fill in the blank number one if you have a bulletin. Watch your reaction. So what does it look like to react differently? If, if rioting and, and chaos is the natural reaction, then, then what is the gospel reaction? Well, I think dedication to prayer. I think dedication to prayer is a gospel reaction. And, and, and note that there is a difference between I pray and I'm dedicated to prayer. One you do sometimes, the other one you do all the times. Another gospel reaction is uh, to, to chaos and confusion is a, a, a posture of lament. Go and read the Psalms. Go and read about King David's life. There is a pattern of lament when things go crazy. And, and quick note here, lamenting is not a depressing thing. When you read the Psalms, pay attention. At the end of every Psalm of lament... There is a recommitment to and a recognition of the Lord's faithfulness and promises. Another way the gospel allows us to react differently is to continue to have joy. James 1 says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And the list goes on and on here about a gospel reaction. But the next time the stuff hits the fan in your life, like the war in Ukraine, if it escalates, if gas prices cause a price hike in all economic sectors of life, if you lose your job, you lose your car, your home, or a loved one, instead of hitting the streets, resounding the same sound of culture, of chaos and confusion, how about we hit our knees in prayer? How about we echo the cry of Job, church family, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away? Blessed be the name of the Lord.
This is not easy, but it is necessary. Our world does not need to hear another chant or cry among a plethora. What it needs is a heart change. Heart change that, the, that only the gospel can bring. So Christ follower, how about we, and, and I, I want to emphasize the, the we of this thing, because we are a community of faith united by Jesus. How about we watch our reaction when chaos and confusion strikes our world and life? How about we react as though the gospel has in fact changed us and Christ has indeed given us new life, new identity, and a firm foundation? The gospel allows us to react differently. So let's watch our reaction. Because the, the crowd in Ephesus that day was reacting to threats on their life in the form of a riot. But, but I asked myself, okay, well, how was the, the church, the, the Ephesian church, reacting to this riot? Or, or even more, how was Paul, the, the apostle, the church planner, the person that we've been really following through the book of Acts, how was, how was he reacting? Let's go back and read verses 30 and 31. It says, when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. We don't know where Paul was when this riot broke out. I mean, was he at the synagogue, as Acts says was his custom teaching? Was he wrapping things up with the Ephesian church before setting sail for Macedonia? Or was he sitting, chilling, enjoying the day in the city by himself? We don't know. But what we do know is that when this riot did break out and the mob dragged Paul's friends, Gaius and Aristarchus, he, Paul, intended to go into that theater and speak with the rioters. But here's the interesting thing. While Paul wished to go, the text says that the disciples, the church, his community there in Ephesus would not let him. So, so picture this from, from Paul's perspective. A, a riot breaks out in town. A large parade of angry silversmiths, craftsmen, and artisans are marching towards the theater. And Paul asks, what's going on? And, and maybe some of his friends said, we don't know, but they have Gaius and Aristarchus. And Paul says, our Gaius and Aristarchus? And they nod yes, and Paul's like, I'm going in. And his friends, the text says, would not let him. Paul, who, who walked back into town after being stoned to death, is a pretty gutsy dude. And he has no problem walking into angry mobs. So I'm assuming that Paul, in, in his grit, is like having to be physically restrained by his friends. They would not let him go in. Furthermore, apparently Paul had made friends with some of the city officials, the, the Asiarchs, and, and they were urging him not to go as well. And this, this word urging, the Greek word is parakaleo. This is not a, a, a simple ask. It wasn't a, uh, hey, Paul, uh, how about you not go in? It, it, it was like, no, like we are 
urging you, a, a parakleo, it's a begging, it's a beseeching, it carries a connotation of ongoing. It was a constant, incessant plea, begging, and urging Paul not to go in. And have you ever been in this type of situation? Maybe not trying to enter an angry mob, but like wanting to go somewhere so desperately, but the people close to you wouldn't let you go. Whether good motives or bad motives. I, I think as, as a kid, I always wanted to go to the mall on Friday nights and hang out. Because that's what you did in southern Missouri County. Amen. My parents always said no. And I was like, oh, why not? Praise God they didn't. But also like a, a, a good motive. And after I graduated and as I was close, getting close to graduate college, and I, I wanted to go to the mission field long term. But God made it clear. No. So here we have Paul, and I, and I think Paul's motives were pretty good here. Go in, save friends, preach gospel. But I also think there may have been something a little more here. Yes, Paul wanted to go in and do all he could to save his friends. Paul is seemingly always willing to lay down his life. Angry mobs weren't something new for Paul. And to, to name a few, in Damascus, he was lowered through a basket, escaping a mob trying to kill him that were hiding out. Acts chapter 9 in Lystra, like he said, he was stoned to death. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 17 in Thessalonica, there's some, there's some people that rile up some crabs and they drag off some of his friends. And then that same group later on when he's in Berea follows him and does the same thing there. I think you get the point. Paul understood mobs by now. Oh, people are angry that the gospel's transforming lives? Well, here we go again. Like I said, Paul was seemingly always ready and willing to lay down his life. However, you know what mob experience was probably ingrained in Paul's mind? The time where he didn't lay down his life. The time where he stood watching, approving, and holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death in Acts chapter 7. Got to imagine Paul having a flashback here to that pivotal point in his life. Here we are. A mob has two brothers in Christ. And Paul is on the outside watching. And the disciples and city officials are telling him, stand down. But wouldn't this be a, a great opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel? Paul, who did nothing to stop the death of a brother in Christ, could not let history repeat it something. He could do something this time. But the voice of the community was clear. Stand down. Please, Paul, stand down. And he listened. And as you read through Acts, you'll see several examples of Paul listening to and taking the advice of his community. He allowed his friends, like I said, to let him down by a basket in Damascus, Acts chapter 9. He sought out and discipled Timothy on the advice of some believers in Acts chapter 16. But we also see in the book of Acts where Paul does not listen to or does not take the advice of his close community. 
Paul and his closest friend Barnabas part ways over a disagreement revolving John Mark, Acts chapter 15. And then in Acts chapter 21, Paul is warned not to go to Jerusalem lest he be in prison, and he goes anyways. So why did Paul listen to community this time? Was there some formula that he used? Was it, once you've been begged seven times, you listen? Or, or maybe we're more biblical here, or once you've been begged 70 times, seven times, you listen? No, like, there, there's no formula here. And so here, here's the question. How do you discern if what community is saying is right and from the Lord? While I don't have a, a formula for you, I, I think it's important for us to stop here and talk a little about the need to rightly understand community. So if you're following along in the bulletin, this is point number two, rightly understand community. What do I mean by rightly understand community? Y'all, community is important for the Christ follower, for the believer. In fact, community is important to God. Pastor Jonathan, a a few weeks ago in our All In to Abide series, said that, that Jesus started the community party. God has always existed in community with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And God created humanity to be in community with one another. It is a key to enjoying the life God has to offer, and it is a key to accomplishing the mission. It is the vehicle helping us towards gospel transformation, growing in Christ's likeness. And so while community is important to God, y'all, community is not God itself. We cannot and must not exchange and trade the voice of God over our lives in favor for the voice of community. I'm going I'm to repeat that. We cannot and must not exchange the voice of God over our lives in favor for the voice of community. Listen, y'all, I love my missional community group. I love, my, I love the guys in my soul support group, but as much as I love them and as much as I covet their prayers and appreciate their wisdom and advice, they do not have the final say over my life. Your friends, family, the closest of friends and family do not have the final say's in our lives. Yes, I want their advice. I need their, their wisdom, but it is not and can't be the final say in my life because King Jesus has the final say in my life. And when I surrendered my life to him, when you, Christ followers, surrendered your life to him and he gave me, he gave you not just new life, but abundant life by grace through faith, he became my Lord and Savior. And his voice became the voice that mattered the most. So now hear me. As I hear and and humbly receive, and, and notice my use of humbly here, So I hear and humbly receive the wisdom and advice of my community. Y'all, it all gets filtered through a biblical lens. Does this line up with scripture? Does this glorify God? Does it lead to the honoring of the gospel? If not, then y'all, like I'm I'm not I'm not taking the advice. 
And they would soundly agree. My, my closest friends, my missional community group, my soul support guides, they would soundly be in agreement. They don't want me listening to them if they are off base or off of scripture. What they want is me to listen and follow after the Lord. So you, you may be tracking with me, but also wondering, okay, Matt, well, well where is this in Acts chapter 19? Where does it say that, that Paul's, community, Paul's community's advice was an agreement with Scripture, honoring to the gospel, glorifying to God? Well, I'm going to tell you, we're, we're not told here. We're not told how, how Paul filtered his community's advice through a biblical lens. There is no comment and there is no, no formula. There's no formula in X. But there is something else at play. Or, or rather, someone else at play, and who has been ever present since Acts chapter 2. While Paul does not have a formula, he has a helper, a, a counselor. He has the Holy Spirit. Christ follower, we have the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God who has come and made his home with all those who have trusted in Jesus as the only means of salvation. The spirit who Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, it is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. Y'all, the Holy Spirit is a big deal. Listen, I don't have a formula for you to rightly understand your community. I do have some good practices. But my greatest encouragement for you is to lean into the Spirit in times where you don't know what to do. Times of chaos and confusion, a, a fork in the road, a decision to be made. He will guide you. He will counsel you. He will provide a way. I am sure of this. But you must know his voice. Would would you recognize his voice? Church family, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm urging you. A, a, a parakaleo from earlier, if you can recall, I plead with you to learn God's voice and word. Let him be your helper to rightly understand community and let him lead you through chaotic and confusing times. I'm sure this is what Paul did. Listen to the urging of his friends. Followed the voice of the Spirit over his life. Paul, in a tense, confusing, chaotic situation, then stands aside. And this is the last we see of Paul in this riot. He will not be used. But another will be. Enters the town clerk. Think mayor here. Town clerk, verse 36 or 35. Now, I'm, I'm not going to reread verses 36 through 41 for the sake of time, but, but here's a, a summary, and y'all can read it as well, but this is what he says. Town clerk, the mayor, stands up every, and says, everyone in this world, no world knows of their great goddess Artemis. And these two men, Gaius and Aristarchus, they're not doing anything wrong. And so if Demetrius, the silversmith, the craftsman, the, the idol makers believe so, well, the courts are open. They can handle this. Then he says that the real danger here is to be accused of rioting, to be accused by Rome of rioting, which, there, which would therefore prompt 
the Roman army to come and take control of the city and take away their autonomy within the empire and power allotted to the officials. Clark then dismisses the people and they leave. That's it. That's the speech. Well, here's, here's my difficulty when, when studying this passage this week. What does this teach us? Why is this even here? Is the clerk a, a Christian? No. Dude actively praised the goddess Artemis. Well, should he be revered for, for quieting and, and calming the mob? Maybe. So what? Why, why is this in Scripture? Well, one commentary pointed out something interesting to be found when comparing last week's speech by Demetrius, the silversmith, and this week's speech by the town clerk. They both state that there is a danger at hand. If you look in, if you have your Bibles, you can look in verse 27, and it says there is a, Demetrius is speaking, and he says there is a danger that this trade of ours may come into disrepute. And he's, he's worried about losing his wealth. And the, the town clerk, this, this mayor in verse 40 says, we are in danger of being charged with rioting. He's nervous that Rome would come and take away their power. Two separate Ephesians see real danger going on in the city. Danger to wealth, danger to power. I'm not going to pause here and talk about how the gospel utterly and totally wrecks the economical and social power structures of our world, but I will agree that there was a danger to, these, to what these men cling to the most. But you know what wasn't in danger in the city of Ephesus? The continuation of the mission. God's mission of seeing peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation reconciled to him. You know, after the, the clerk's speech, you can read in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 20, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. Mob ended. Mission continued. The mission of reaching Ephesus with the gospel was bound to continue. Reaching the, the rest of the world with the gospel is bound to continue. And this is one thing we have learned in Acts time and time again. Our God is sovereignly orchestrating the continuation of his mission. Church, family, let us rest in this fact. Rest in his sovereignty. It's point number three. My last point. Rest in his sovereignty. Y'all, there are countless dangers that we can get, up, get worked up about in our world. Money, worrying about the future, job security, relationships, health. And I'm not trying to downplay the, the real hurt that these dangers and worries can have. However, and, and listen to me here, Our God is sovereign. Our, our God is seated on his throne, and our God is going to continue to work all things out for our greatest good, which is your growth in Christ-likeness, by the way, our greatest good in his greatest glory. 
he will accomplish his work because he alone is sovereign. So Christ follower, here's the takeaway I want you to have with this point. I don't know where you are. Well, you're here, but maybe your world is falling apart right now. Or maybe everything's going swimmingly. I don't know, but regardless of your circumstances, I encourage you to lay hold to the fact that no matter what is going on or what may come, our God is sovereignly in control. He's in control. And in better yet, he doesn't need you to step in to fix things or be the glue of your life. What he wants from you and for you is for you to trust him. He wants you to lean into his spirit that resides within you. He wants you to believe that he will carry both you and his mission on to completion. Paul in Ephesus had a front row seat to this. Seated on the sidelines, Paul watched the Lord use an idol-worshiping mayor to quell a crowd ready to kill two disciples. And God did this so that the church of Ephesus would continue to grow and Paul's church planning team would continue in his work. God is sovereign. And the mission and movement of God continues and it will not be stopped. Now how God orchestrates this will differ. It will, from each time, it will, it will differ. There is no formula here, but he will accomplish his mission. Rest in his sovereignty. So I, I want to close out by returning to the cliffhanger I left you in at the beginning. There we were that day. Halfway across the world in, in 2011. It was not the day we expected. On a bus, about to be attacked by an angry mob, and then shortly after, crouched down in that bus, listening to gunfire play out ahead of me, thinking, I don't know what to do. Wondering what is going to happen next. The gunfire subsided. We were given the all clear to get back into our seats. I, I looked out the witness and I, oh, the windows and I witnessed the aftermath of this, this fight and the bus began to move again and then the next thing happened. We got to the airport, got on a plane, arrived back home. And the next year and several more times I returned. That's it. That's the story. Some of you are thinking that's the most anticlimactic thing I have ever heard. What's the worst closing illustration you could have told? Maybe you're right. Or, or maybe it fits perfectly. Maybe it's the perfect story to highlight that when everything begins to spin around us, when the stuff hits the fan and fears, worries, dangers, even death floods into our life, I find it necessary to highlight the fact that life continues with God's mission as the driving force. And I am confident 
that if I did not make it out of that situation or, or any situation since, it would have been for the glory of God and a means he would have used to see more people saved by the gospel. Church family, God's mission is of utmost importance. The glorification of his name through the redemption of his people. It will be accomplished because he alone is sovereign. God's desire is for all people to, to know him and the abundant life he freely offers by grace. So in times where you don't know what to do, trust him. Lean in to him and watch him continue to do the work only he can do. Y'all pray with me.